I just wonder if she was the kind of leader that it really is a matter of it's not what's going to happen to you, that you have a choice. You're either going to live life and this is going to happen to you or you create a different future because of what can happen through you. You know, the younger generation, college students now don't trust the adults now and, the, and vice versa. The adults don't trust the students. So we've first got, I think, fill that gap. We have to find a, a happy medium of trust in each other. Trust that they're going to make the right decisions for the future. Trust that we're going to allow them to. You're listening to Illogical by True. This podcast decodes the language, decisions, and hidden areas of local power that often seems illogical to residents. The goal of this podcast is to empower people to engage locally and to understand how significant it is to be aware and active at the local level. Once local government is logical, it will become meaningful and provide the benefits that allows for people to live a thriving life. Welcome back to Illogical with my guests, James and Marie. And I I enjoyed our last segment where we really delved into and set the table with history, Ella Baker, her significance, Shaw's significance, not just to North Carolina and Raleigh, but to the country. Um, And then we sort of hinted towards um, sort of the birth of this new leadership model this decentralized model that touches the average people, the ordinary people. And so uh, I want to start this conversation here and then sort of cast it to a contemporary setting. So Ella said, or at least Neil Ella Bakers say, the process of developing the leadership of ordinary people by engaging them in mass organizations is a critical democratic practice. Now, we are talking about local government at this point. Most of the action that Ella participated in were local. And if we believe that her leadership style is critical to to democratic, to the democratic practice, then we have to shift from that historical because we need that to sort of root our ideas so how do we now um, think about our world today and how it's, it's critical to have her leadership model to empower and to sort of reimagine sort of uh, local autonomy, individual actors acting and making decisions to impact their own lives. How do Ella help us now? And so I want to, before we go there, I want to revisit SNCC because that's where we stopped. We stopped mm-hmm. at SNCC being birthed from Raleigh to Atlanta. Now you have an activated youth leader network. Can you share some of some of the uh, sort of historical uh, newspapers that you have that you brought with you today? Just share some of that so we can get a glimpse into who were these young leaders? What were they doing, at least in North Carolina and Raleigh context? Um, can you share some of the, the prompts you have today? Sure. So we have students who are convicted of trespassing in Cameron Village right here in Raleigh who sat in, who did a sit-in, a nonviolent sit-in, and who are arrested and had to go through a whole court trial. And this was in 1960. And these are just students who just wanted to sit down and have a meal. And... 
you know, and this is more of it about the college students protesting segregation, um, lunch counter to be able to eat at a lunch counter, to get a burger like anybody else. And so th this is kind of, you know, <laughs> um, and then the, it went to the legislature. There was a group on Shaw, the, the NC student legislature, who worked with the government to at least some of the government to try to get a lot of this to stop. So these are the articles that were that were posted. This is what the News and Observer. Um, again, all from 1960. Uh, th these were the signs that were put up. Uh, don't buy the at these stores at Woolworths. You know, these are the stores that were were segregating. That we're not allowing everybody to just have a meal. No. And what what we're seeing here. Um, we're seeing college age, high school. Like, what is, what is sort of the, what is the demographic that we're seeing? You are and in that photo there. You are looking at any kids, kids between what 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, young people getting trying just getting an education and getting arrested for sitting down to eat. James, what what comes to mind as you as you see this history documented, like sort of put back in in your in your face, you know? Well, I, I think two things come to mind. I think one, the fact that we are saying Walgreens and Belks, unethical injustice doesn't put anyone out of business. Bro, whatever words you want to use, and this is, I think, as we're in the modern day. Just because there's some obvious immoral practices, because this is an immoral practice. I mean, let's just let's just be real. And so when they're obvious, and we think somehow, well, man, if we just reveal and show this, then then we're gonna wake up. Well, these stores did not go out of business. Uh, even with the fact of when you look at some of the practices that they had. I think that's one thing that happens. The other thing that does, I look at this, I go. We're still in the same journey. So one of the things I think becomes important, especially when you talk about leadership and you talk about, you know, organizing, we talk about Ella Baker, it's, it's something that I have to continue to re repeat to myself, that, that the past is present, but the future can be created. The past is present. This, these articles, uh, literally, you could write these articles today. Uh, and so it's still present, but now we've got to create a different future. And that's that's where I think with Ella Baker, she gives us a model. She gives us sort of a framework of how do we even today create a different future. I think it's important as we look back and go, that was then. Now, many of these institutions and everything, they had some strategic reasons for doing this. And this is what makes Ella Baker, I think, such an effective leader, is it wasn't just her giving a voice to the change that needed to happen. People would love for you to think you can just give a voice. No, she understood that you systemically had to bring about change. And so that's why she's dealing with organizing because you got to deal with all the power dynamics. You can't just deal with the spokesperson role or you can't just deal with policies. You can change policies and change procedures, but you've also got to deal with power. You got to deal with relationships. That's the other thing of being an organizer is bringing relationships to bear because that's what brings systems change uh, in many ways. And that's what she was a master uh, at doing which is so critical and necessary today. Just having a voice to say this is wrong, writing a blog about it, tweeting about it, 
What Ella Baker models is, no, you got to go beyond the words and you've got to go into action. But then you also, part of what, part of what Ella Baker did is she modeled this, what, what, what we would call she planned, she would do it, and then she would study. And then, you know, she, it's the PDS plan, do, study, act. She put that into practice. That's, that's a way of capturing her leadership. Is she planned it? One of the things in some of the meetings and reading about her, she would have meetings that would last all day. Now, now we can't even <laughs> imagine that, but but she also understood something that we've missed today. You're dealing with collective trauma. Uh, in, in the time that she's working, she understands the traumatizing reality of not being able to go to a lunch counter. So that's going to require creating even more space. Then the last thing I say is, and thank you for this. I'm just excited in what you do, Marie. But part of what we've got to understand even now as we continue to move this conversation forward, we're dealing with people who are in what I would call collective grief. Imagine after seeing the celebration and cheers for your first black president, and he has two terms. And now we've moved back to a place that that next president is a president that is the antithesis of that in so many. That's a collective grief to now begin to hear that universities are now changing curriculum. Uh, that it, at the elementary school and high school level, you now have people banning historical conversations all because of the guilt that it will cause. So you can't even name the brutality of our American democracy. You can't even talk about capitalism and all of its forms without being called a socialist. Uh, you can't even talk about we. And now you have a governor in Florida and even here in North Carolina driving that you only can use certain words and certain ideas and anything that's going to make a people collectively feel guilty, then we can't even teach that. So we're living in a time where I wonder if people are experiencing a grief, but all the more reason why Ella Baker becomes important because she demonstrates working through that grief. And she demonstrates doing that by really helping people to get into action in, in moving things forward. Now, there's two things here that I would love to dive into. One is, is, is grief, because normally people enter local politics because of an incident or some sort of formal event that either caused some misfortune or fortune, whatever it may be. That's when people activate into local governance. Now, they say there's two things that move people to activate locally. One is their relationship to property. What is that relationship? Number two is their relationship to education. Now, historically, black and brown people, if you're talking about the legacy of Ella Baker, like her ancestors, most of the movements, the positive movements in history around uh, African-American people were through trauma. It, it wasn't like they, they waited for peace, built the house, and then waited and then built. So there's a strong history yes. of being builders in trauma. Like there's a very rich history there. Now, um, I want to be honest about the moments we have now to sit and reflect 
and to deal with some of that trauma and to have healthy families. And so I don't want to ignore that right. side of it. But there's a side of it that we must embrace that our history is a history of building through trauma, not waiting so in the good. absence of trauma. And I think locally, we're waiting for a peaceful season to engage again when these meetings, they would have to sign letters and sit at home. <laughs> Mom, I may not be, <laughs> dad, I may not make it home. Um, this is what I need you to do with my, my stuff, right? Like there is a clear and present danger that I'm signing up for. And the next piece of that, so we have trauma on one end, and the other end, the next piece that we're talking about is, and I mentioned this in the last episode, is, is around her age. So you have someone who is well-seasoned, highly intelligent, has a resume that don't need to go back down to local. I'm a, I'm a national organizer. I don't, right. I don't need to. <laughs> you come to my headquarters in Atlanta. <laughs> I don't need to. I don't need to go back to, to, to Charlotte at all. But you have a person who leaves the tower and comes down. So when you have trauma and you have somebody that's closing the generational gap, what do you think is required for us to, to do both of those things now? I, I just feel like there's certain circumstances in today's generation mm -hmm. that what didn't exist, and I'm talking technology, social media, um, mm -hmm. where we are now uh, on a national level, it's 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 kind of crazy. It's mayhem. Um, so so how do you get somebody who has this phenomenal idea and that worked in the 60s, how do you get it to work today? Um, and whereas Ella was doing kind of things it wasn't uh, posted on Twitter. Oh, Ella's heading down to you know, to to some small town and gonna get to the to the to the black neighborhood and gonna do some workshops. She's, you know, just showing people how to do it. And I think now you can apply these same concepts. Mm -hmm. um, but as as we had discussed about now, it's like kind of that superstardom is becoming like a necessity. Mm -hmm. And I think that idea needs to be taken away. You don't need that main focus person. I think if, it, and it's, this is where that social media comes in, where no matter what, everything gets, we, we learn news in a matter of 30 seconds. Yep. Now, as opposed to a week later, it's in the newspaper and you're hearing about it. You know, So I think that's where the challenge comes in, as well as that generational divide. You know, I think the two, our generations, you know, the younger generation, college students now don't trust the adults now and, the, and vice versa. The adults don't trust the students. So we've first got, I think, fill that gap. We have to find a, a happy medium of trust in each other, trust that they're going to make the right decisions for the future, trust that we're going to allow them to, that we're going to let them lead, stop trying to control, stop trying, you know, and I don't mean us, just me and you. I mean, in on a whole level, um, there's... There's so much happening now in our nation that's just kind of gone wonky. And so what do you do to, to, to apply this? Um, keep educating. Keep. How, how does SNCC do that? Like how does now, SNCC, what do, SNCC do, 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 did, the do the education? They, um, instead of waiting for people to come to them, they went there. Mm -hmm. SNCC members went communities. Mm -hmm. They didn't wait until they got a... Uh, 
postcard in the mail in our case, and in our term, wait for that email, you know, for our time. No, SNCC went these small communities, rural communities or, you know, any of these, you know, black communities where they would do workshops. They had literary, you know, even down to comic books they were publishing. Um, they held uh, classes just to teach about voting rights. Um, they were really, uh, SNCC was very much a big component about voting, getting people out to vote. Um, and I think that's something that actually is carried over to now is really getting the masses out to vote, um, just like we had to do in 2016. You know, we had to get people out there, vote, God, please vote. And, well. <laughs> Even when you look at the newspapers that you shared, um, there was a deliberate cause that they were that they were sort of out in direct action towards. And they were well informed why it was worth the risk to be out on that cause. Do you see voters nowadays, and maybe James, you can share, do you see individuals seeing the risk and then the reason why that risk is worth it to engage in local governance? their mayors, their city council, their school boards. Because if you haven't been to a school board meeting lately, hmm. it's packed. Yeah. It's standing room only. If you rewind it five years ago, no one's at a school board meeting. Right. right. <laughs> no one's going to visit a school board meeting. So there's, a, there's an element in which the exchange of power has been brought local. Mm -hmm. And we still have people not seeing that the risk is worth the reward. And so I would love, James, if you can sort of share a little bit on those two elements. Yeah, I, I think part of what you're seeing is people have felt powerless at a national level. And, and now people are saying, listen, there is a matter of survival. Because now I'm looking at a world that is not getting better. There was a narrative and a myth that this next generation will do it better than we have. Well, well, now we see that, no, the next generation is not. So there's an engagement. The other thing I think has happened, too, is why we're seeing a, a level of in, increased participation in the local conversation is because violence is here. When you think about it, and this is the genius of Ella Baker, I keep coming back to Ella Baker, Dr. King, the civil rights movement. Go back and look in the history of movements globally. Very few change without violence. One of the things that for me demonstrates sort of a supernatural dynamic in this whole conversation is the fact that King was able to move things, the civil rights movement, Ella Baker as well. She was able to organize SNCC without violence, which in today's world, people question. And I understand why they question it, because you look back at any revolution, uh, America purchases freedom with violence. Uh, America even obtained and enslaved others through violence. And so most change happens through violence. Now, I'm not advocating for that, but you now have a generation that realizes that. We now see that even when you look at what goes on around the world, whether it's the Ukraine, whether it's China, wherever it might be, even globally, change happens through violence. And so I think we're seeing a response at a local level that says, I better be involved in the change, because if not, we even can see and feel the violence coming. I, I was talking with the parent 
not too long ago, and they just said, it is just different that I literally have to be by my phone because I'm going to get a call from Wake County that says bomb threat or need to come get your child. So we literally are having to reimagine sort of the reality of what the future will be. And I think we now realize, listen, I better shrink some things down, but I've got to do some things here at home because my future and my child's life depends on What age can we place Ella Baker around the birth of SNCC or at least where she was still active in the organizing space? What, like what age, like what picture can we give the audience around her age when SNCC, just an estimate um, on, on the gap between her and the students that she was. Oh, you're looking at a, anywhere she was about what? 50s or so when she was doing SNCC. So, so, so you're talking about. You're like a 30 age, 30 year gap. 30 year gap. I mean, that's a. And she's sitting at the feet of students. Yes. Yeah. Where can we find a contemporary space where these, we have very decorated leaders today. Where are we seeing decorated leaders sit at the feet of students who are ready to enter the arena? And, and and I'm 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 opening it up, you know, and, and and maybe you know we can you know look at you know <laughs> any thoughts you may have, but I don't see that as often no. um, where you have these decorated leaders um, sitting at that. And also, I think there's two different waves of communication. Yes. If you if you send me an email, I'm responding. If you send me a message on Instagram, I'm gonna get to it but it's not my immediate way to communicate. And most of the kids are waking up in their device and sleeping with their device. That's right. And I'm not, I'm not wired to communicate that way. And so it's, it, it might not even be a leader who don't want to engage. Right. I, I'm just not even communicating in your language, in your dialect. Right. That's right. <laughs> I'm not even, That's right. I'm not even, and so it may come off to you in the way your community speaks to each other that I'm ignoring you. I just, I'm just, I'm just trying to, I have to adapt so that I can be there and present for you. But it's not that I'm ignoring you. And so, so there's, there's, there's even just two waves that are like not even, you know, communicating with each other. There's still hubs mm-hmm. where organizers go in sort of the faith community. And I just talk about my own experience. I, I still see branch chapters of the NAACP, uh, and I don't want to highlight the end of the, end of the, any organizing structure embedded in church environments where there's no Wi-Fi. There's no access to the internet. So these young organizers, they need, a, they, need a, they need to plug in to a network that allows for them to engage their community. And, uh, and, and so there's a gap where I don't see that 50-year-old, 60-year-old, or just well-seasoned leader sitting at the feet of, and then connected to that, I don't see workshops embedded in community where I can learn what an ordinance is at the city council or why the school board budget is in the Wake County budget or why the city can only do but so much when the structure of the state in this is is, is in a way where the council can determine the, the limits of the city's function. I don't know why 
property was small for black communities and then large for white communities. I, I, I wouldn't have known that. I, I don't know plots of land and the, and the transfer of wealth. So for me, where are those communal institutions that's training people on where power is embedded mm-hmm. locally, sort of like what SNCC was doing? Where are those sort of hubs now? Is the question maybe a question of not where those spaces, but how do we create mm. those spaces? Mm. Maybe that's the question. That's good. Because when you say where, I, I don't know about you, Marie, but I'm sitting here going, that's good. probably in conversations that go that don't go beyond the conversation, because yep. I'm not going to assume that you don't have younger yep. people connecting with older people, older people. But, but from an organizing standpoint, what you're naming yep. And this submission to youth leadership, I think maybe the question is, how do we create those spaces? Mm. Because you hear, you often hear those in the faith community still saying, how do I get more young people That's involved? Right. Which, That's which again, that follows right. the model. That's that right. follows That's the right. model of Dr. That's King and That's Ella right. Baker and the SCLC. That's right. Their That's model right. was, look, you come and be a part of us and you That's can right. be the youth wing. We, right. we need more youth involved in the movement, right. but not to lead the movement. That's we need right. you involved, but we don't need you to lead. That's right. I think that sort of that same model still exists today. Mm-hmm. So how do you create spaces where older people are sitting at the feet of younger people? Mm-hmm. I think I wonder if that's a question. That's a really good question. You, you know, um, uh, the design, the tech design world have created platforms where all positions are flat. And you enter these design hubs as equals. So whatever you contribute is going to produce a series of failures until we get it to a solution. And they call it human-centered design. They call it liberatory design thinking. But all these different hubs decentralizes hierarchy so that everyone involved can feel as if their voices are being heard. Mm. So they produce a model that would embedded in community would work well. And so you see some groups are offering sort of decentralized design thinking hubs. Where I see it as different than Ella Baker is some of those are not always rooted in justice. They're not always rooted in uh, some of it is rooted in commerce. How do we right. make money and spin it right. off into a product? A lot of it is not social innovation or social right. entrepreneurship. Some of it is just for capital. Mm-hmm. And so I, I see that as a the stark difference. I don't see Ella ever talking about <laughs> herself. I, I, just, I just don't at all. And so that takes a different leader as well. What are you sacrificing so that this model sustains and works well? What are you personally putting on the table to say, I want my local council to hear what our needs are and not be told what our needs are? Yeah. How do we get our school board to hear what our needs are and not be told what our needs are? Yeah. And so like, there is a certain sacrifice required there. What sacrifices for Ella Marie did you come across? Career, marriage, relationships, whatever that may be. What sacrifices did you observe? Um, she, 
I mean, she was only, she, she wasn't very into relationships. Mm. She, she was married for about 10 years. Mm. Um, nothing really came of it, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, even in university, the, her friends would try to hook her up with somebody, and wow. she was more into baseball. She, wow. she wasn't interested. She was on her own agenda. Did she sacrifice relationships? I mean, we may see it that way, but she may not have. She may see that as not sacrificing anything because what she believed is what she did. No mm-hmm. one told her that it's either this or that because she wasn't going to put up with that. She did what she thought was right. Um, again, like I said, maybe we see it as a sacrifice that she didn't have the family or the, you know, and the 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 lifelong husband. Maybe it's just she didn't see that. Like that, she saw what she was doing as this is this is what she was meant to do. I I think you bring up an interesting point that I think not only applies to Ella Baker, but if you look into the lives objectively at any of the civil rights leaders, they sacrificed their lives. Uh, when you look at Ella Baker's travel schedule, I mean, she'd go to a state and would be in different cities throughout that state every day. Uh, almost half of her year I was reading somewhere was in travel and going to all of these different local. And so at Ella Baker, if she was alive today, she wouldn't just come to Raleigh and wouldn't just come to Raleigh and Durham. She'd be in Yanceyville. She would be uh, in Little Washington. You know, she would be uh, Roseville. You, you get my point. And, and she would make sure that she gave herself fully so almost any leader in the civil rights movement were lousy family leaders. Uh, Dr. King, and I know that's a strong statement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dr. King will tell you again, and even you look at sort of the dynamics of his children, because it's difficult to lead the way that they led and the needs. And we have this myth. So they sacrificed a great deal. Malcolm X you know, even for him and his family. I mean, very and in the intensity that they lead, lived in. Don't t- don't say I'm not saying they didn't love their kids. I'm not even saying that Ella didn't love her husband. But the nature of how they work. That's the other thing that's difficult, I think, in in our context. When you talk about Ella Baker, she didn't have a quote unquote balanced lifestyle. She she didn't have a lifestyle where she was thinking about her physical and mental health. Uh, her lifestyle would not fit many of us today who just were looking for the balanced life. I would say she models more of attention uh, that you can find. But Ella, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, uh, they, they didn't live necessarily on a personal level a lifestyle that we even can imagine today in many ways in light of, again, you look at some of our challenges. But now I think what it does bring to bear, then if you want to bring change, then this one messianic leader uh, is not going to work in today's time. You've got to organize and have uh, other leaders as well. So, so as we draw down to the human being that's listening, mm-hmm. How would Ella Baker see that human being, their readiness? How would Ella Baker evaluate a human in their condition, where they're at, educated or not? How would she encourage that person to engage 
in local government. How, what, what, will be, what will be words? And I don't want you to put anything in her mouth. You can just say, this is what I believe. <laughs> but how, how would she speak to that human being? I think that she would approach them and look at them. What do you need? Mm-hmm. What does your community need? Mm-hmm. You know better. Mm-hmm. Figure out what you got, what you need. Mm-hmm. And then we'll take it from there. Whether you need a workshop to help you get there, whether basically, I think she would just say, I'm here to guide you. Mm-hmm. So you can take up the reins. So you can voice what you need, not what they think you need. That's powerful. I when I read Ella, I my mind goes to um, Jesus and his model of leadership, and I'm just talking about Jesus and his model of leadership because, again, we Ella's faith story. I don't want to try to make her have a faith story that she didn't have, but she did have this Jesus model of leadership because when Jesus led very similar in a similar way, it really wasn't about him. Now, this is why I think there's a great deal of confusion about Jesus uh, and why there could be confusion about Ella, because we want to take and make him to the Jesus of our imagination rather than the Jesus that's revealed in the Bible and the book that's written about him. Uh, Jesus had that same kind of leadership where it was a very mysterious leadership to the point to where when you look at his life, you would say failure. Uh, And he kept tragedy and solutions. And he had this message that the solution is found in the tragedy. Uh, and in the tragedy, whether you believe the story or not of him dying on the cross, but then his leaders were able to excel far beyond he did. You think about it, one of his failed leaders, that's the other thing I, that I like that we're telling a real story with Ella, because real leadership, you tell a real story, his failed leader, Peter, who we know more about his failure. Well, Peter saw more response than Jesus saw in his lifetime. In his first message that he gave there in Pentecost. And even Jesus had this statement where he says, you should do greater works. And I just think Ella lived with that same kind of reality that she's leading people so that they can do greater works. I also think, to borrow one of Jesus' strategy, I just can imagine Ella first asking the question, do you want to be made whole? Mm. That was sort of the way Jesus led. Jesus would say, do you want to be made whole? Which is really strange. He's talking to a guy who's paralyzed. And do you want? To, and he would say that, ask that question. I wonder if Ella first would start with, what is the real desire that an audience particularly has? And then if they had a desire, all the more reason why she would passionately be activated towards anyone. So if Ella was here today, she would ask leaders at Shaw, do you want to be made whole? Do you really want to have an institution that is growing and producing more people? Uh, Do you want to have an institution that exists that is building the next generation of leaders so that long after you're gone, really then you will be acknowledged and esteemed? Because we talk more about Ella now than we ever did. I mean, if you think she's unknown to us, imagine how unknown she was in this time, especially being a woman, especially not being on the forefront, especially not being known as an orator. Uh, but that's part of the key of leadership that we can learn from her. One, asking audiences, what do you want? Do you even want to? But then secondly, if they say yes, then reaching out the hand and even engaging them in an intentional way of leadership. You know, there's a there's a scholar 
who said, this is Ella's theory of change. I'm going to read just one of them. And I want to have that be your closing thought reflections on this. It says, uh, Baker thought that social change happened through the cultivation of the possibilities within people. He said, first and foremost, to change the world meant developing a practice culture of people with discerning eyes and ears for the present yet subordinate possibilities for hopeful latencies in self and others in the surrounding world, possibilities that might be explored and refigured towards the beloved community. And he felt that this was sort of like her theory of change. Like there's something in you, that person that's listening, there's something in you already. My job is not to create anything. It's to cultivate it so it yes. produces the beloved community. It's not so that you become a superhero. You are already enough. <laughs> you already have the tools in her mindset. She's not coming to make you superhuman. She's just coming so that you feel ready to embrace what is already possible in you. And so with that theory of change, just some closing thoughts. We'll start with you, Marie. We'll close with you, James. Or how do you reflect on that sort of that theory of change? I think Ella, in her mind frame, she, she saw herself as a resource. She was a catalyst. She, she was that, that piece to, to spark that in the community members. And if they needed, they needed a source, maybe a course, a workshop, some literature, just to learn a little something, just to get that movement going, that's what she did. And that, is, that can happen today. You don't need people to take over. You need someone to spark that, ignite that, that fuse, ignite it, and be that catalyst. Okay, you don't have this resource. Oh, here, I'm going to provide this resource, and I want you to run with it. Take it, run. Go to your, go to your PTA, PTO meetings. Go to your local government meetings. Know, know what's happening in your community. And that's what she was. She was that catalyst to... to get people moving. She, she lit the fuse. Wow. She lit the fuse for, just held that lighter up to the fuse, got it sparking. Wow. And just let it go and let people just run with it. And it's, it's doable. It's absolutely doable today. And I think that it's such a, a strong approach to accomplishing what needs to get done and what people need and uh, approaching it through the people who know what they need in order to succeed further, to get the necessities or the wants that they want for a happy life, for a functioning, better off community, for respect for each other. And I think that's where she, she really made that big change and is very applicable to today's society. We just have to close that gap between the generations we just have to find that medium where the communication can go and all of her theory can be applied. All of her work that she started can continue on. Thank you. Yeah, Terrence, I think that's an interesting, I, I love that, that comment, that quote. I think a couple of things, even as we've had this conversation about Ella Baker, I, I just wonder if she was the kind of leader that it really is a matter of, it's not 
what's going to happen to you, that you have a choice. You're either going to live life and this is going to happen to you, or you create a different future because of what can happen through you. And I, and I think so much of what she was able to do is she was able to see the future and say, I plan to help others have the resources within them, not just to live in the future, but to create a different future. I think she's the ultimate of what we call in the world now, we talk about being coaches and the whole coaching industry. The coaching industry, a good coach doesn't give you answers. A good coach helps you to discover with the right questions what are the answers that are there in you. So Ella Baker is very much in the spirit of a Phil Jackson, whether you like the Chicago Bulls. He didn't teach Michael or Scottie Pippen or any of them in how to play basketball. No NBA coach does that. But you see that he was able to coach and facilitate a championship team and a team where individually, you know, a mess, <laughs> and usually, but collectively together. He did the same thing in L.A. He's an incredible coach. He's the same thing as Jay-Z. Part of what Jay-Z, what makes him so incredible is he knows how to engage there where there's good talent. And so now you have a Rihanna uh, who Jay-Z, we forget that Jay-Z is the one who helped build a frame for Rihanna. Now, I don't want to make anybody in the beehive angry, <laughs> but we do know Beyonce is incredible, but Jay-Z, that was true in hip-hop music. Whether we forget, now he's got his issues with P. Diddy, you know, or Mary J. Blige's or Mace, or Craig Mack, all of those, and even Biggie, uh, very much so. P. Diddy understood the dynamic, very much in the spirit of Ella Baker, that I can't give you genius and talent. But because genius and talent is there, it can be facilitated. And I wonder if that's part of what we're missing, even when we look at leadership today that Ella Baker can teach us. That's a wrap. Two episodes with James and Marie. I want to appreciate you for taking the time to shed light on such a legendary figure that gives us hope today on engaging in civic government. And again, we wanted to start our podcast with highlighting such a key figure that decentralized leadership and allows for us to see ourselves in the legendary Ella Baker shoes. Thank you again for visiting. Thanks everyone for listening to this episode of Illogical by Truth Podcast. This episode was edited and produced by Airfluence. I am Terrence Roof, and we'll see you next time on the next episode.